call upon the dark forces and, and to say hello to a, a brand new episode of Trepo. I got I want to do like a ritual. I'm gonna light a bunch of candles and make something happen. From the depths of the unfathomable <laughs> Perform an incantation, and then travel like it just happens. Is that the finished episode or just the the raw data? I just figured the recording. We could just have we could go on autopilot like the night people in that episode of Rick and Morty. They can record travel for us. I feel like I'm asleep. I wake up with rock hard abs as we recorded Trapo. <laughs> we don't live in that world. No. We live in this world where we have to say Trapo, the show that talks about stuff on purpose. Ooh, I'm Dustin. I'm Guy. Wait, are, wait, what? I thought are we you were on roll. I don't know who I am. Does it matter who I am? It doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't I don't think matter it matters. Who we are. We are Trapo, and today on this very underwhelming episode of Trapo, <laughs> it's been a while since we've done a mixtape. We've done three so far. Let's make it four. Let's make it an even four. And then we'll do five. But not now. We'll do four now. We'll do, we'll do one now. That'll make it four. And also, if you don't like those mixtapes, like, you know, you should have picked this or picked that. Go fuck yourself. You know? <laughs> it's our mixtape. Seriously. Are, yeah, these are our mixtapes. If you want to make your own 90s alt mixtape, have at it. You know what? When you when you do that, share it make, with us. Make your fucking grumpo and send us a link. Yeah, we'll check out your mixtape. We'd love to see what your definitive 90s alt mixtape is. It'd probably be awesome. Probably be a lot more Mazzy Star on it than ours, which is to say some Mazzy Star, because there's no Mazzy Star on our mixtape. We fucked up on that account, I think. But, you yeah. know... That's volume cool. one we'll do a part two in 2024 maybe right now we got other mixtapes on our minds like the mixtape we're curating on tonight's episode tonight's episode of Trapo. the unskippable so i don't it's a word I, I came up with in a text <laughs> message like an hour ago you know unskippable is really what this is about because the whole point of this mixtape we're curating is that these are songs that if they come up when we're listening to a playlist or if we're just messing around we don't skip them these are the songs we'll always listen to unskippable unskippable well, we each come up with 10 songs. He has 10 songs. I have 10 songs. We're going to throw these out for nomination. And who knows how many will make it into the actual final mixtape. I don't know. He doesn't. No one knows. We haven't, we haven't done it yet. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery. The uh, Unskippables playlist. Or uh, Unskippables mixtape. We don't do playlists here. We make mixtapes because we're old school. We got to put something in a cannon to blast it in the space for yeah. aliens to off to. Aliens don't jump the playlist. Come on. They don't. They jump to fucking mixtapes because that, <laughs> that is where it's at. <laughs> off to physical media only. You got to know this. You gotta they gotta be able to hold it. They gotta hold it in their fucking sweaty monster hands. I don't want to say they're <laughs> monsters. I'm sorry, aliens. I don't mean to say you're monsters. I'm casting aspersions on these poor people. You're not al- You're not monsters, aliens. Just because you look different from us doesn't mean you're monsters. You're totally normal where you come from. And look, I'd hit it. I don't care what you look like. I'd hit it. <laughs> so I'd, I'd give it a shot. I'll be honest. I'd get a poke in. You might get poked. There might be some slime. I like slime. So... <laughs> I'm okay with slime. I'm okay That's with fine. it. I watched You Can't Do That on television growing up. I'm perfectly fine with slime. Kind of into it, actually. Uh, it awakened something <laughs> in me, let's say, when I was a young lad. We're going to do it. We're going to make a mixtape happen. Because it's our show. And we put a bunch of shit up to randomly vote in the last few episodes. So, Dear listener, it's time to open the floodgates and let the massacre begin. If you don't know what the hell we're talking about, it's actually neither, pretty, neither do we. Well, no, it's pretty self-explanatory. Any genre, any year, it doesn't matter. It's the unskippable mixtape. So who starts? Who starts? I don't. Who starts? You want to start? I don't care. Well, fucking a, I'll go first. My first song on our unskippables playlist. I mean, fuck. <laughs> God damn it! You <laughs> mixtape, you piece of shit. We're canceled. Both... Canceled. <laughs> No, 
<laughs> so we're done here. We're done. The first, uh, the first, the first, the first item. No. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the first song for our unskippables mixtape. Because it's not a playlist. It's not a, a playlist. Not a playlist. Up first is a little song from 1980 called Ace of Spades by Motorhead. You know I'm going to lose. I got lanes for fools. But that's the way I like it, baby. I don't want to live forever. The Motorhead. The Motorhead is the fucking tits. What's your experience with it? How did this start with you? How did Motorhead enter your life? I heard it on the radio. I've driven fast a lot of times to this song. There's just something inside of me that's like, you should go fast and you should smash things (laughs) when the song is playing. Speed metal, exactly what it is. Very fast and driving fucking guitar. It uh, powers the fuck through. Kind of makes you feel badass. It's just uh, a bunch of like a gambling jargon with some really fast ass guitar that makes you want to smash something and speed the fuck away. Yeah, the lyrics don't make a bunch of sense, but the song is is just so uh, energetic. It makes you want to punch a hole in the universe and then drive through that hole. That music makes me want to set fire to the cosmos. So great. You did your job, Motorhead. Yeah. You can listen to Ace of Spades. It's a seminal work. I think I, I mean it that way. It's seminal. It is It is stained with some very suspicious stains. <laughs> there was a lot of stains in and around anything involved with that album, probably. It's a seminal album. Is Motorhead in the canon? Uh, I think it's in the mixtape. I think it made it. Can't see no to Ace of Spades. Nor should you. <laughs> I gotta try to match that energy. I think I have the song that can do it. I do. From 1973's Raw Power from the Stooges called Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. I think I got it. You are correct, sir. That is definitely matching some Motorhead energy and vibes. The thing about Raw Power, I've always loved. No, no, I'm I'm not going to go into Raw Power in depth because I think at some point we're probably going to cover Raw Power. We're definitely going to talk about Raw Power. So this is not going to be a discussion about Raw Power because, I mean, look, it's already in the canon. We haven't done it officially yet, but it's it's in the canon. It will be. This is not about Raw Power. But Raw Power is a, is a record that just fucking goes for it, front to back. This motherfucker is aggressive and beautiful and angry. It's one of the coolest albums I've ever heard in my life. I love it. And this is something we have to get into when we actually talk about the album. But the way Raw Power was mixed and produced, it's like a fucking wall. It's like a wall of noise that just assaults you. And it leaves you with a bloody nose and chronic tinnitus. It's the only way I can describe <laughs> it. Your ears are going to yeah. be ringing for the rest of your life. But in a good way. In a good way. A lot of that has to do, I think, with James Williamson. He was the guitarist that was hired by Iggy Pop for Raw Power. And he became Iggy Pop's primary collaborator for the album. I don't know. Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell is probably my favorite track from the album. I mean, it's very sexual. And it's very aggressive. But there's also these weird undertones. There's that line, if you want to make a bug boy, you got to be a tease. Kind of sounds, <laughs> yeah. sounds like we're dealing with some gigolos there, which I'm okay with. I mean, we talked about gigolos just earlier. We did. We were. Before we started doing this. But that's, <laughs> that's not... That's, that's none of your business. Hallucination, true romance. I needed love, but I only lost my pants. <laughs> it just feels real. I needed love, but I only lost my pants. Uh, your pretty face is going to hell. It's my favorite Stooges track from my favorite Stooges album. Fuck it, it's in there. It's in the mixtape. It's there. It's fucking locked and loaded. Since we're keeping things fucking loud, let's just keep things fucking loud. My next opinion for the unskippables is a song from 1999 by system of a down called spiders the spiders all in tone the evening of the moon dreams are made winding through No. 
Rocky's that, song, with, yeah, album. yeah. I said that thinking system of a down. That I was like, oh wait, this is actually like the most chill song on that album. One of the reasons I've always liked it. I don't know. The bass line's almost creepy. The way Surge kind of whispers the beginning part always kind of hooks me in. Piercing Radiant Moon. It's the first song I ever heard from System of a Down. And also, I think it was probably the first song I ever heard. Spiders, beautiful haunting melody, and it has been stuck in my head for a long time. Made me think when I was a younger person and wasn't thinking about weird shit. There was a time in your life when you weren't thinking about weird shit? (laughs) Well, I didn't know that what I was thinking about was weird shit compared to everybody else. How about that? <laughs> it was normal to me. Don't you fucking worry about it, Kai. I don't, I don't care about other people's opinions. That's why we have a fucking... That's why this podcast works, because uh, people got opinions about our opinions. <laughs> I don't give a fuck about them. Spiders, System of a Down. I don't skip that shit. It's been a while since I've heard it. It kind of makes me want to just listen to it right now. But I won't, because we're doing a show. We gotta do... Okay, so Spiders is there. I made it. It's in the mixtape. It's, it's unskippable. I'll keep it going. With another song, it was the first single from Siamese Dream, the second album from the Smashing Pumpkins, 1993's Siamese Dream. The lead single that shouldn't have been the lead single, but it was, and it is Cherub Rock. <laughs> record label i believe it was virgin they would have preferred today been the first uh first single it just seemed like a better fit but billy corgan said fuck it it's gonna be cherub rock now cherub rock underperformed and today did not today was a huge hit here's a consolation prize cherub rock was listed as guitar world magazine's 97th best guitar solo Out of 100. 97. Are their greatest guitar solos of all time list. That's not bad. It's you being on the list. Hey. He made the list. According to Billy Corgan, he wrote the song in a half hour, near the end of the whole writing process for Siamese Dream. He was under pressure from the record label to add more to their follow-up, just to make it longer, because you could add more music to a CD. I guess his main wish is that he wished he'd had more time to finesse the writing of Cherub Rock. A few hours. As opposed to a half hour. That, that was his gripe. The song itself, Cherub Rock, is about the music industry. It's very uh, cynical. I like was to assumed say, it was meant to be that way. Yeah, it's a very negative view of the music industry. It's a world that demands artistic compromise in exchange for success, which is something he never believed in. It's too much to get into for one song, but there's a complicated history behind the making of Siamese Dream. If you want to know more about it, dear listener, please look it up, because I think it's well worth your time. Look, if he could have split himself into four different people and played all the instruments and sang live he would have done it he would have done a multiple man and done it but he couldn't because it's not real so unfortunately he had to rely on other people to work on his music with him which i think honestly that pisses him off to this day if he could do it all himself and then just release it and and tour by himself he'd probably do that he'd probably be happy doing that i mean look I, i i love it that's one of my favorite songs of all time every single goddamn time i feel like i could literally run across the fucking planet earth like the flash it's great it's fucking amazing he's the one who complains about i only had a half hour to make this song oh boo fucking who you made a masterpiece in a half hour shut up but i wanted the exuberance and the energy of cherub rock i needed it it's it's unskippable i feel like if i tried to skip it my hand would fall off what's next what's next kai what what happened next well good question maybe we don't even have to take a vote on this anymore it's just this is it this is the mixtape this is yeah. it we, i guess we didn't establish the rules up front but here's the rules whatever the fuck we say is in the mixtape it's in the mixtape these are picks that uh we have cherished and will only use on things that we absolutely demand be in the mixtape so what's next on the unskippable mixtape all right well i'm gonna fucking throw it back we're gonna take it back to the olden days back to the 1900s 1900s. jesus christ holy shit 
I joke about that with the first graders, and they're like, "Whoa, was it black and white back then?" No, it. <laughs> it's like you fucking. Oh, you know it, dude. You know it. You're fucking old, bro. You're right. You're right. We're going back before then to 1966. It's the fucking song "Paint It Black" by the Rolling Stones. I see a line of cars, and they are painted black. And my love will never to come back Aftermath is uh, not my favorite album of theirs, but Painted no, Black is an all-timer. That was one of the reasons I was like, well, there were a couple of Stone songs that were, I could throw something in there. I was like, well, this album isn't my favorite. It's nothing that we would ever probably put in the canon as an album, but this song's got to get in there for sure. The opening guitar part, and then it drops, and then the fucking drums kick in. Immediately gets your heart chugging, and then you're fucking into whatever's about to happen. A fucking sad, dark place that <laughs> that you immediately get taken into, which is probably one of the reasons why I like it so much. What's next? What's next? I'm sorry, I'm gonna call that out. I'm gonna call that out. <laughs> it's not relevant it has to nothing the episode. To do. Yeah. That's nothing to do with the episode. Painted black is on the mixtape. It's just all all darkness. It's about getting over some shit, but you can't, so fuck it. <laughs> Weird, dark masterpiece by the Rolling Stones, and it's in the fucking mixtape. What else you got? Well, I got a song from, uh... What? Oh, yeah, I got a song, Kai. It's from 1997. Although, a funny thing, because I, I, I have uh, notes in my phone. When I was uh, typing out the color and the shape, my uh, phone decided to autocorrect it to now the, the title of the Foo Fighters album is apparently the color grade and the shape. The color grade? <laughs> the color grade and the shape. From, from the 1997s, the color grade and the shape, it's the second single ever long. And I wonder... Fun fact, it reached number three on the Billboard Alternative Rock chart. It has become the band's signature song. It was actually the final song that drummer Taylor Hawkins played live before his death in March of 2022. He played it live at Lollapalooza in Argentina. That was the last song he ever played. That's a good last song, I guess. Not bad. According to Dave Grohl, he wrote the lyrics to the song around 45 minutes. He was staying at a friend's house in Virginia. He was going through a divorce while simultaneously experiencing a new love with Louise Post from Veruca Salt, the eponymous Seether. She may not look She was the seether. People didn't know that until they listened to Volcano Girls, I believe. Well, they just straight up say she's the seether. Thanks for spoiling that. No, she's the seether. And uh, Dave Grohl was madly in love with her at the time. Louise Post actually provided backing vocals for the track, which you can hear if you listen. They were recorded over the phone. She actually called into the recording studio. Uh, Dave Grohl was in love with the lady from Veruca Salt. Wrote a song about it. It's all about the chaotic exuberance of new romance. Absolutely beautiful. Maybe this can last forever. You know it won't, but maybe it will. It feels limitless. Even if you're not in love when you listen to this song, you're in love with the possibility of falling in love by the time the song is over. Yeah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to be controversial. Fuck you haters. It's perfect. It's perfect. What's next? I don't. Let's move on. Throw me, motherfucker. This is also an album we listened to together a lot when it came out. Double album in 2003 from Outkast after they broke up and were going to make their own albums, but then they ended up just making a double Outkast album. It's Hey Ya. One, come down on the debate by the way if you had to pick one speaker box or the love below which is it it's the love below overall yes i remember skipping more songs on the uh, speaker box 
Hey, uh, the first listen through, if you don't really pay attention, sounds like a happy dance song. It's got layers. There's a lot more going on to the song. The actual melody, you want to dance to it. Those lyrics are just fucking sad. Yeah, I don't want to hear me, you just want to dance. There's a bunch of interesting covers of this. People playing it in like a folk song kind of style with just an acoustic guitar. You can feel that weird sadness of the lyrics a lot more. A fucking bearded dude playing this song on guitar. That's more for people who need the, the direct message. <laughs> It makes the, the weird, sad shit a little more obvious. It's a great song. It stood the test of time thus far, I would say. I ain't skipping Hey Ya. Yeah. Fuck, I guess I'll go next. I got a song. I'm gonna get into it. Okay. I don't know if a lot of people would actually know it. It was the hit for its time, but its time was 1980. And, uh, I mean, I say hit, but... It was not a big hit. I guess in 2004, when Rolling Stone magazine released their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time, this peaked at number 306, which is nothing, it's nothing to sneeze at. The song is That's Entertainment from the Jam. This was released in 1980, as I said. It was from the Jam's fifth album called Sound Effects. I wish more people would listen to this album because I think it's fantastic. The song depicts the hard scrabble life of the working class in London. Some people have described it as a slice of life song. But the band frontman, Paul Weller, claimed to have written the song in, as he says, 10 minutes flat while drunk just by looking around while living in London. The working class just struggling to get by. He brought it all to life in his song. This is not something that I've had forever. This is something I heard in the early 2000s when I was listening to Satellite Radio. That's the first time I heard of it because no one around here was going to play That's Entertainment from the Jam on their station. They weren't going to do it in Kansas. That's one of the reasons I was not super familiar with this song. (laughs) One of the genres that I hadn't really gotten back to was like kind of 80s British sounding kind of stuff. I don't know. That acoustic guitar hit me right away. This melody hit me, and it's just burned its way into my brain. That got me listening to the Jam as a band. I think that the Jam is a fantastic band. Each verse is kind of punctuated by the phrase, that's entertainment. It feels sarcastic, like it's tossed out as a coping mechanism for people who are just trying to get through their day-to-day lives. The song feels bleak, but there's a sense of longing. I always kind of get stuck on that one line because I've felt that before. I think everybody's felt that at some point in their lives. You have that feeling, I wish I was somewhere else. And that's it. I just think it's a wonderful little human moment and a very human song. It just kind of fucks me up. I never skip it. That's entertainment by Jam. It's on the mixtape. Kai, what's next? What's next? I'm going to kick it back to uh, another kind of dark song. A lot of my songs are a little dark. 1971, Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Have you listened to the fucking song? That's why. Off of the album Just As I Am, that album's in. Bill Withers. I mean, all of them. Steven Stills on guitar. Booker T. Jones, come on. With that voice. It's a fucking voice. Nobody had a voice like that. For sure. Beautiful, powerful. There's some random cool things about that song. Like, and I know, 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 I know. He was going to write a third verse. All the other musicians were like, no, 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 no. You should leave it like that. It's badass. It's my first album. All right. All these musicians were telling me I should leave it like that. They knew what the fuck they were doing. And I was like, all right, when you're uh, in this situation, because she's gone, you're all fucked up. There's a lot of repetition going, and that's kind of like tearing yourself apart. Anyways, it's fucking perfect. And uh, it's on the fucking mixtape. I'm going to move on. I got a song. Oh, fuck. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to me? I got something. It was the lead single from... uh... 
an album of the same name. It was actually Matthew Sweet's third album, released in 1991. It's called Girlfriend. Cause you need to song reached number four on the billboard modern rock chart number 10 in the mainstream rock chart i just think that's funny this song was was a huge hit people loved it still do and the very uh memorable music video used clips from a movie space adventure cobra the movie i remember watching this music video well that's really awesome i want to see what happens next in the story well no the story wasn't made for the music video they just stole those clips from a movie that already existed and turns out later on five years ago that's how much later i actually saw the movie space adventure cobra it's pretty fucking awesome pretty great movie it's a lot of fun it's an adaptation of a manga that i ended up reading i read the manga first i think it's buichi terazawa terazawa but uh, the manga started publishing in the 70s and girlfriend just took footage from the anime which blew me away i didn't know what the fuck that was i was a kid i thought this was made for the music video oh wait wait now i can watch this movie I don't know. The album uh, Girlfriend was inspired largely by a divorce, a very messy divorce that Matthew Sweet went through in 1989, and it is largely known as Matthew Sweet's breakup record. But I don't give a shit about any of that because Girlfriend tears a hole in the universe by being so awesome. And that guitar solo that uh, Robert Klein provides... <laughs> just uh, melts my face and i love it was this on a guitar hero game i it had to have been i imagine right at some point wasn't it i feel like i remember you being like oh yeah we should play this and i was like oh my god this is way too hard it was in guitar hero 2 yeah that is one of the ones we played it quite a bit too but girlfriend is a song that i just love i will never skip it that's the kind of song i imagine if you ever got married to somebody you could play that song at your wedding. If your wife didn't want to dance to Girlfriend, I feel like maybe you made a mistake marrying that person. But if she wants to groove to Girlfriend, then you got to keep her right there. That's uh, Trapo's Rules to Live By. I don't have to justify the existence of this song. It's already there. It's in the mixtape. Fuck you. Fuck you, naysayer. Matthew Sweet is an awesome musician. And fuck you, piece of shit. What's next, Kai? What's next? Boy, you gotta make me do this. I don't have to make you do anything. <laughs> What's next? Uh, I gotta make you go next? What the fuck? <laughs> you knew you were going next. Shit. That's how, it's wor- how it works. There's only two of us. We're going back to the 90s. We're going back. We just can't. We were in the 90s. Oh, wait. That was from the 90s, huh? Well, we're going forward a few years. 1996. I'm talking about Where It's At by Beck. Where It's At? I got fifth album Odelay. you I mean, couldn't pick devil's haircut i could uh, that's the problem when you come to Odelay, i could have picked like any song on the album you know uh where it's at it's classic for a reason fucking random it's got clips of all sorts of weird shit sex education video cut in or i don't know what the fuck's an old hip-hop album i don't know when you just listen to it i didn't realize that like half the song is definitely clips it throws you out in your ass. Weird mishmash of fucking madness. Like you said, it's classic for a reason. It's good. It's where it's at. That's beautiful, Dad. It is where it's at. Where it's at is where it's at. True words have never been spoken, cut, And it's in the fucking mixtape. All right, what you got for us, Nag? Come over. Well, I got a song from 1971. Oh, oh 1971. From a, a little fellow who used to go by the name of Cat Stevens. Now, these days, he's been going by the name Yusuf Islam. People still know him and love him as cat stevens and the song was originally written for 1971's harold maude the film directed by hal ashby which is a masterpiece in its own right but the song is called if you want to sing out sing out well if you want to sing out sing out and if you want to be free be free because there's a million things to be 
you know that there are And if you want to live high, live high And if you want to live low, live low Cause there's a million ways to go You know that there are Cat Stevens wrote several songs for the soundtrack to Harold and Maude, and several of the songs he'd previously written ended up in the soundtrack. But there was no official soundtrack released for the film until 2007. There is a lot of animosity there because Cat Stevens, the songs that he recorded for Harold and Maude, the songs that Hal Ashby ended up using for the movie were actually technically demo versions. Hal Ashby thought they sounded good enough as they were. Cat Stevens wanted to re-record them to actually polish them in the studio. Hal Ashby thought, no, that's good, they're good enough and put them in the movie. It's been speculated that's the reason why there's there was no official soundtrack release for the film until 2007. We don't know for sure. Either way, the song plays over the climax of the film. Well, the closing moments in a sequence that turns a knife in my heart a little bit. It's <laughs> but in a good way. It's very. It's actually. I thought you were going to say turns my crank. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't going to say that because it's not that kind of movie. But no, it's a very. It's actually life affirming in its own way. It's a very uh, affirmative song. It always makes makes me a little teary-eyed when I watch Harold and Maude when I get to the end of the movie. My personal connection to the movie really started. 2019, I had pretty major surgery, and there was a period of time right after I'd gotten home. I was basically an invalid for a little while. I couldn't do anything on my own. I could barely stand up, and whenever I had to move around, I was with a walker. I felt like I wasn't a complete human being. All I could do, for the most part, was just sit in a chair because I was in so much pain. Otherwise, I couldn't get up and move around. I couldn't enjoy things. I was so fucked up. I was still coming down from all this medication. They jammed into me. I felt like my head was packed with gauze. I couldn't think. I didn't feel like a person anymore. Just on a whim, I figured I had my phone right next to me. I didn't touch my phone, check Facebook or my email for almost a month. I was so fucked up. None of it mattered. I didn't watch anything. TV shows or movies for pleasure for that period of time. I was just so fucked up. But I just decided I'll listen to some music. I hit play and randomized the music. First song that came on, If You Want to Sing Out, Sing Out by Cat Stevens. This was probably three or four days after I'd gotten home. It was the first time since I'd woken up from that surgery in the hospital that I felt anything. It just opened up a dam in my mind. Everything just started flooding out. I started to feel like I was actually a human being again. I just started crying. I didn't realize I was crying. I didn't feel it. The whole point of the song is it's about the limitlessness of life how you can be whatever you want to be and it's never too late that's just exactly the message i needed at that time i i mean i'd watched harold and Maude before i'd heard the song dozens of times before and it had always resonated with me it was just a perfect storm right there that was it the song made me feel like a human being again i was starting to think i may never feel that way again i've never forgotten that feeling every time i've heard the song since i feel an echo of that note of gratitude that i'm still alive comes back into my my personage uh it makes me feel good it just makes me feel good it's a life-affirming song and it means a lot to me if you want to sing out sing out by cat stevens i just love it it's one of my favorite things in the world so there you go it's in the mixtape <laughs> What's next, Kai? I'm sorry that I got really weird and sad right there. I kind of melancholy. I'm sorry about that. It won't oh, happen fuck again. That. No, no, it's gonna happen right now. Are you gonna see hurt? Is that what you're yeah. gonna do? Well, I, I'll get my gun. <laughs> yeah, because we're just gonna keep it dark. So the next song is 2000 Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt. And you could have it all. came to through the video which uh, 2002 2002 because i was living in Hayes at the time and that was only for a couple of years johnny cash's cover of hurt second rick rubin produced song i suggested whoops johnny cash wasn't very healthy at the time so they were picking songs that would be easier for him to hit ranges he was comfortable what most of them were he turned it into a fucking heartbreaking dramatic sad depressing fucking thing the video is just one of the most fucking heartbreaking things haven't seen a lot of things bring rooms of men to tears but i've seen that video do it (laughs) especially knowing he died shortly after 
I've only lived long enough to record two albums worth of material. Yeah, that's true. And I had probably, in the few years before that, listened to the Nine Inch Nails version first, going through their catalog at that time also. It's a, a damn masterpiece. Instead of being screamed at, you've got an old man bellowing at you. Well, well he, you know, he wasn't going to swear. Johnny Cash wasn't going to swear. And this is the thing. I mean, Trent Reznor had actually recorded the line, I wear this crown of thorns as a radio-friendly version of the song. So Johnny Cash just went ahead with it. And you know what? It makes more sense. It's actually a better line. I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair. The same crown of shit is just kind of an edgelord statement. I'm not trying to criticize Trent Reznor's original song. I think it's great on its own. But Johnny Cash owns it now. And he has owned it since 2002. Trent Reznor wrote the song for Johnny Cash. For he just Johnny didn't know Cash. it at the time. It was always Johnny Cash's song. Trent Reznor realizes that too. I'm sorry, Trent Reznor. It's not your song anymore. It belongs to the ages now. And it's also in the mixtapes. So that's something. Just fucking there. But I guess we're going to move on to the next song. Which we're getting close to the end here. We're getting real close. We're almost there. And I'm, I got another song. It's the fourth single from the 2000 self-titled debut album from Audio Slave. This is the fourth single. I am the highway. I am not your song reached number 66 on billboards hot 100 and this i didn't know this i had to look this up i thought this was exciting it reached number two on billboards mainstream rock chart and it reached number three on billboards modern rock chart i'm the highway by audio slave was a hit it got people listed to this album that whole album was basically singles by the end of it you say that but that's because you know every song by heart maybe you just know the whole fucking album so they all sound like singles to you and to me and this is something that completely passed me by when this album came out people really didn't like it that much critics are not kind to audio slave not just the album but the band in general it's just the other three members of rage against the machine trying to kill time with the lead singer from sound garden that's what they feel it is i think for a lot of them you'll never convince them otherwise you'll just you never will they made three albums i mean i'll level with you the only really great album is their debut the other albums have a lot of good stuff on them but yeah. they feel like afterthoughts more than anything and I'll, I'll i will freely admit that there's a couple great songs on those other albums there's a, it's several skippable songs maybe mostly skippables audio slave their debut album it went off in my mind like an atom bomb i just i couldn't get enough of it I still can't. I think this shit is amazing. I'm going to be that controversial asshole right now and just tell you, dear listener, that if you don't like this album, you can go fuck yourself because it's in the canon. Oh, yeah. Audio Slave by Audio Slave, it's in the canon. I think it's great. I think it's a great album from front to back. I think it kicks a thousand different kinds of ass. I am the Highway is a crucial part of that. Oh, absolutely. If you try to break down the song, like the meaning of the lyrics, I think it's about reclaiming your sense of worth after a bad breakup and that's what it sounds like the actual song is about someone trying to figure themselves out in the aftermath of that which is a good thing it's a fine thing i love it but the way the lyrics are presented they kind of adopt a more mythic quality that grows beyond what i would call this comparatively meager description i am not It's bigger than what you can comprehend. You're trying to put me in one small box. I'm going to kick my way out of that fucking box. 
And in the years since Chris Cornell's death, I'm the Highway has kind of become kind of an anthem for the man himself. I guess you'd say an elegy for the artist. I believe there was a concert that was performed after his death that took on the name I'm the Highway. I was going to say, I think that was the celebrity concert. I mean, there are some great acoustic versions of this song. Chris Cornell has recorded a few great acoustic versions of this song. Ann Wilson from Heart, she recorded an album in 2018 called Immortal, has cover versions of a lot of songs from artists who at that point had recently died she does back to black from uh, amy winehouse along with there's a lot of good stuff on there i mean really it's a it's a really solid album but she does a cover version of i'm the highway on there that's a very very good tribute but i'm the highway from audio slave it's my favorite song from the album audio slave maybe i mean it depends on what day of the week sometimes it might be the last remaining light sometimes it might be cochise but you know what i'm the highway Fuck it, it's in the mixtape. It's unskippable. Tell him wrong. You're right. You're fucking right. What's next, motherfucker? We're going to something else that's uh, unskippable. No shit. <laughs> that's the fucking point, dumbass. Because I'm going to 19... <laughs> 1977. Bob Marley off of Exodus. Three Little Birds. Of course, it's in the fucking mixtape. It's beautiful. It's fucking, it's a beautiful yeah. work of art. Pretty fucking simple. It's uh, also got, I don't know, like you said, it's just a fucking positive, beautiful reggae song about getting up. Three little birds show up. What a beautiful day. Well, it's just that wonderful life-affirming message. Every little thing's going to be all right. You want to believe that with your whole heart. When you listen to Bob Marley actually sing that, you might believe it. And ultimately, you know, you either have to believe that or you end up being like George Costanza. Fucking explode about every pointless thing that really doesn't matter. It's time for the Festivus Feats of Strength. Oh, no! it off! No Feats of Strength! I come on, Festivus! We had some good times. Unless you want to fucking have an aneurysm, find a way to get over it. It'll be all right until it's not. And then you don't have to worry about it. Right now, things feel chaotic. The seas are stormy, but the clouds are going to part eventually, and you're going to see the sun again. It's a wonderful sentiment. I feel like more people should just listen to this goddamn song. You know, maybe we wouldn't try to be killing each other all the time. Maybe that's simple, but for God's sake, can we just listen to the song and stop having wars, please? Enjoy the little birds. I want to be able to tell somebody once everything's going to be all right, not feel like a complete fucking liar. That'd be nice. Yeah. I feel like Bob Marley believed that when he said it. And I want to believe it. Yeah. There's another thing that also I felt as a parent, you have to kind of tell your children that or else you shouldn't have had children. (laughs) You're going to find out that there's shitty, horrible things in the world, but you also have to tell them, well, it'll be all right. 20 years later, they come back to you and call you a liar. (laughs) You lied to me, you piece of shit. I've worked two jobs to pay my bills. Fucking girlfriend left me. And I got a car payment. This is fucking horse shit. Bob Marley fucking lied to both of us. Just blame him. (laughs) Yeah. Soothes the estate of Bob Marley. It wasn't going to be all right. It wasn't all right, man. It wasn't all right. How fucking dare you? (laughs) We got to move on because Bob Marley's in the canon. Who? The song is in the the mixtape because, of course, it's in the mixtape. Every little thing is going to be all right. Tell your friends. I got a song. It's in the mixtape. It's a little song from a 1987 album called Frank's Wild Years. And the song is called Innocent What You Dream. two versions of innocent when you dream on frank's wild years i'm referring to the first version the barroom version the premise of frank's wild years is that it's about a man named frank who uh has some wild years i'm I'm sorry that's stupid it's about a guy named frank who decides he hates his life the way it is thinks it's too mundane decides he's gonna try to make something of his life 
ends up recording a song that he thinks is going to be a hit. It's not a hit, and he winds up destitute. It's a sad American tale. There are two versions of the song. The barroom version is the version that he literally performs in a barroom before he makes it big. I would love to go on for about an hour and a half on Frank's Wild Years because I think it's my favorite Tom Waits album. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm not going to do that. that. I'm going to share a few facts about the album because I figure I may never have the chance. So the 1987 album was actually based on a stage musical that Tom Waits created, performed in uh, Chicago's Briar Street Theater over the summer of 1986. Now Tom Waits played the titular Frank in the play. The songs from the play that he wrote with his wife Kathleen Brennan were reconfigured and re-recorded for the album Frank's Wild Years, which was coincidentally Tom Waits' ninth album. Frank's Wild Years is also the name of a song from Tom Waits' previous album called Swordfish Trombones. According to Tom Waits himself, the Frank from the song is actually the same Frank from the album. It's the same guy. Same kind of rags to riches to rags story. I'm going to move on to uh, the reason why this song means so much to me. And that is that the song itself had a place in the 1995 film Smoke. This is a, a movie that I don't think most people even know about. But it was directed by Wayne Wang. It's a movie about a guy named Augie who runs a cigar shop in New York City. And he has a predilection for photography. It's a very emotional movie. A very heartfelt movie that has a lot of humor in it. I rented this as soon as it became available because I was on a tear at this time of my life. I rented this movie probably seven or eight times. It meant a lot to me and it still does. At the conclusion of the film, the two main characters are Augie Red, played by Harvey Keitel, who owns the cigar shop, and uh, his friend named Paul, played by William Hurt, a writer who's recently widowed and he's having a hard time dealing with the loss of his wife. The song Innocent When You Dream plays into the sequence at the end of the film. Paul tells Augie he's been asked by the New York Times to write a Christmas story for their New York Times magazine. But he doesn't have any ideas. Even though he's an author, he's completely blocked. So Augie promises he's going to tell him a story that he thinks might be the best Christmas story he's ever heard. He swears in the time that it's true. It is closely based on a story that was actually written by Paul Auster, I believe for New York Magazine in 1990. I guess that was for the New York Times in 1990. It was called Augie Wren's Christmas Story. Augie tells Paul this story about how he spent Christmas with a blind woman who mistakes him for her own grandson. I assume no one's there. I ring again just to make sure. And just as I'm about to give up, I wait a little longer. And I hear someone shuffling to the door. An old woman's voice asks, who's there? And I say, I'm looking for Roger Goodwin. Is that you, Roger? She says. And then she undoes about 15 locks and opens the door. She's got to be at least 80, maybe 90 years old. The first thing I noticed about her is... She's blind. I knew you'd come, Roger, she says. I knew you wouldn't forget your granny Ethel on Christmas. He ends up spending Christmas with this old woman, pretending that he's her grandson. And after she falls asleep after Christmas dinner, he ends up going to the bathroom. And in the bathroom, he finds a stack of cameras that were clearly stolen by the, probably by the grandson. I pick up one of the cameras, tuck it under my arm, and go out back to the living room. I wasn't gone more than three minutes. But in that time, granny Ethel had fallen asleep. Too much county, I went out to the kitchen to wash the dishes. She slipped through the whole racket, snoring away like a baby. There was no point in disturbing her, so I decided to leave. I couldn't even write her a letter to say goodbye, seeing that she was blind and all, so I just left. Weeks later, he regrets his decision and tries to take the camera back, but when he reaches the apartment building, he learns that the grandmother has died. Which means she spent her last Christmas with you. I guess so. I hadn't thought about it that way. This is a recurring theme in the movie. Augie takes pictures. Photography is a, is a passion of his. And this ties into his passion for photography because he got the camera from this old woman that he was pretending to be a grandson during Christmas. You don't see that coming when the movie starts. By the time it ends, it just ties everything up in this beautiful little bow. And now you got your Christmas story, don't you? Yes, I suppose I do. Paul calls him on it. says there's no way this story's real. Bullshit is a real talent, make up a good story you have to know how to push all the right buttons i'd say you were up there among the masters what do you mean but he smiles you get the feeling he just made it all up but it's a good story paul has to admit that <laughs> it's a good story shit if you can't share your secrets with your friends then what kind of friend are you the end of the movie plays 
silently it reenacts the events of Augie's Christmas story played silent in black and white while Tom Waits's Innocent When You Dream plays over it this is the first time I'd ever heard a Tom Waits song the way this song is presented over the sequence it's disarming and it's heartfelt and it's beautiful it's never left me the movie itself and this sequence if you can find smoke to watch it give it a shot because you'll probably end up in tears by the time it's over this got me started on tom waits as an artist and it enriched my life because tom waits is one of my favorite artists and it all started for me with innocent when you dream so it's in the canon and it's in the mixtape and it's unskippable so fuck you it's unskippable you know what the fuck else is unscappable? Little song, song from This is the one. This is it. It's no rain. That's the one. That's the one. Sort of most famously possibly known as the video with the cute B-girl. Important time in MTV's like bringing rock on sort of folk rock still but it was was, um, it, was it folk rock the rest of their album sort of is there's some more kind of folk but more, it's more like all rock. The song was mostly written by the bassist who's uh girlfriend was pretty fucked up and depressed and was just laying there bitching about the beautiful day wishing it was shitty and rainy to match her feelings i get that we've definitely all been there look at all these happy children fuck you get out of here oh look at those cute puppies i can't have one fuck that but yeah it's a classic 90s one hit wonder situation also the uh lead singer overdosed in 1995 on their tour bus in i think new orleans or some shit can't really recover from that hey sing the songs like the dead dude no sing it more like the dead dude the whole album is okay no rain is just one of those indelible classics i mean a lot of people would probably say well what's the point why does that matter to you maybe it's one of those situations when you say you had to have been there maybe that's it you had to have been there you know for us it's unskippable so shut the fuck up why did you pick no rain you put that in the mixtape fuck you make your own fucking mixtape clown i can complain about no rain because we don't get no rain anymore it's dry as a fucking bone out here we're all gonna die (laughs) but why don't you shut the fuck up about blind melon okay why don't you shut up just listen to the song i'm sorry i'm pissed now i'm just pissed (laughs) fuck you fuck your imaginary person who's complaining about the song that's really good i just want some fucking apple brandy i want that apple brandy right now i'm in panic mode but you know, Whoa. no rain is there. And you know what else is there? No, I don't. Tell me. It's the next song on our playlist, on our, our mixtape, not playlist. We don't do we don't do playlists. We don't do that. As we're approaching the end of our beautiful, beautiful mixtape, I'm going to throw out my next nomination, my penultimate nomination. Ball and Chain from Social Distortion. Take away. third album their self-titled album which was also coincidentally their first album with a major record label that being epic records released in 1990 the song ball and chain helped to garner regular airplay in mtv the band got some pretty good success as a result of that the album ended up hitting 128 on the billboard 200 It's the band's second best-selling album to date, with their immediate follow-up being 1992's Somewhere Between Heaven and Hell, slightly outperforming it. Uh, In the words of social distortion frontman Mike Ness, he would describe Ball and Chain as a forceful cry, a lament, a plea, and a full prayer. Mike Ness's struggles with heroin addiction are very well known. They are very evident 
if you listen to the lyrical content of Ball and Chain. But the brilliant aspect of the song is as the song is composed, the lyrics are left vague and universal. They can be really applied to anybody who's suffering in hard times from any walk of life. Anything really can apply, which is why I think it's brilliant. I, I would consider it a contender for ultimate sad bastard song. I would. This is one of the saddest bastard songs. Saddest of the sad. There's a reason why I make a point to listen to it. Every time my birthday rolls around, I find a point in my day to listen to Ball and Chain by Social Distortion. Really the best verse in the song. The verse that always resonated with me the most. I've searched and I've searched to find a perfect life A brand new car and a brand new suit I even got me a little wife But wherever I have gone I was sure to find myself there You can run all your life But not go anywhere But wherever I have gone I was sure to find myself there you're always going to be confronted with yourself, with the ugliness of your past, with your insecurities. And it's that's very poignant. So, uh, it's on the mixtape. Let's move on. We're there. We're almost there. We, the finish line's right there. We just got to stumble across it. <laughs> I know. I know. It's all good. I'm going to throw you curveball. 1969's Bad Moon Rising by Creedence Clearwater Revival. I see curveball no that's why <laughs> that's why i said it you tried to fake me out with a fake curveball yeah like, i'm gonna piss and moan about bad moon rising which is a, one of my favorite songs of all time i thought you'd like that just the way he fucking grumbles the lyrics always just made me laugh and howl what album is that from <laughs> Green River? It is, in fact, the lead single from Green River. It's an all-time classic, classic rock song. When I think of classic rock, having grown up in the 80s and 90s, I think of fucking Credence. How could you not? This song kind of epitomizes what classic rock is or should be. Some of it's not as good as this. This is fucking amazing. I love that you're being charitable there. Some of it's not as good as this. I love the shrug that you hear John Fogarty deliver when he says, Oh, you! I hope you're ready to die, motherfucker, because here it comes. Looks like we're in for nasty weather. Oh, okay. Oh, man, this is biblical. I'm loving this. Some shit's going down. It's one of the best. Beautiful guitar. I don't know. It's great. Used to beautiful effect in uh, John Landis's An American Werewolf in London. Like every yes. other song that has moon in it. It's, of course it's in that movie. Yeah. Of course it is. Maybe we'll talk about it also one day. Yeah, one motherfucker told us to talk about that a while ago. We never did. We had a plan. We were going to talk about it. We were actually going to talk about An American Werewolf in London. That just didn't happen. You know what? Halloween's coming up eventually, so. <laughs> you know what, Bad Moon Rising? It's on the mixtape. John Fogarty did it. Anyways, we got okay. one last pick, and that is for you, my dude. This is, I don't know, this might be a controversial pick for some people. It might. It might be. But you know what the thing is? I don't give a shit. I knew I wanted to include a song from this band on the mixtape. Problem is, for me, a lot of their music is just unskippable. And so I had to figure, well, guess, well, which is the one? Are, are you talking about Journey? Journey? What the f- No. God, no. <laughs> what the fuck can I be talking about Journey? What What's going on? I mean, look, I'm not going to complain about Journey. I like a lot of the music, but Jesus Christ, you just fucking, you just fucked me up. What? <laughs> Sorry, Journey? you were on your and I just fucking derailed you. Journey? Anyways, what else you got? Yeah, it's uh, Separate Ways by Journey. I don't know if you know this song. <laughs> Nobody knows that. No one's heard it. Yeah. It's in Tron. Did you hear Tron? Did you see that movie? But, uh, the song is from a band called Oingo Boingo. It is from their 1982 album, Nothing to Fear. And the song is... This is my private life. I've got no friends to fear. I've got no problems, no cross to bear. If you can find me, 
like anything else from Oingo Boingo. You know what? Fuck you. How about that? Fuck you. It's our mixtape. I struggled on this, okay? I did, because there's a lot of music from Oingo Boingo that I'm a big fan of. I love their music in general. I love, like, 70 of their songs, okay? I'm sorry. I do. It was easy to narrow it down when I asked myself this very simple question. Which song immediately resonates with you? Which is the one that says, this is it. I'm, I'm the one. Pick me. And uh, I closed my eyes, thought about it for five seconds, and I ended up picking Private Life, because Private Life is the song that really uh, kind of fucks me up emotionally. So I'm, I'm, that's, just the, that's just the way it is. I'm sorry, whoever the fuck you are out there. That you, what are you talking about? Why didn't you pick me in science? Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> look, the song is great. There was a version of it that was released in a music video directed by Danny Elfman's brother, Richard Elfman. Got a lot of airplane on MTV at the time, 1982. Critics hated the album album kind of par for the course because critics hated most of oingo boingo's early music but nothing to fear the album actually sold pretty well around 125,000 copies initially now this is their second album their first album was only a lad released in 1981 which followed the release of a self-titled ep in 1980 now i'm not going to get into the, the nuts and bolts of oingo boingo because i at some point in the future i would like to discuss the band in detail so i'm not going to waste time talking about them here Suffice to say, if you don't know about the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo, Richard Elfman in Forbidden Zone, just Google it because it's all worthwhile. In 1979, Danny Elfman disbanded the Mystic Knights of Oingo Boingo, which was Richard Elfman's band. I'm going to change the name and kind of focus on this kind of uh, ska, new wave sound that's going around because this is where my heart is. That's where Oingo Boingo came from. The great thing that's unique about Oingo Boingo is that they rode the new wave but they incorporated elements of their big band influences, which is the foundation of the Mystic Knights of Boingo Boingo. And it's all fully on display in most of their uh, recognizable music. Private Life is a song that has always resonated with me. It's a meme. This describes me to a T. It me, basically. That's the meme. It me. And uh, Private Life, it me. I hate to say it like that because I'm not, I'm not cool and I can't pull off the social media jargon, but it me. It's about alienation and isolation. It deals with a certain level of desperation for somebody. They're terrified of the potential repercussions of that human contact. It's also in Danny Elfman's delivery. There's that great line when he says, this is my private bed. This is where I lie at night. But the way he says lie at night. This is where I lie at night. It's very funny. Very right. arch. The way he performs it. A little over the top. Yeah, but there's method to his madness throughout the song. And there's very human emotion throughout it. It's about a human being who can't make that connection with anyone else, even though they desperately want to get me out of here. I can't do it myself, but if you can reach in here and pull me out of my miserable life, maybe you can save me. There's a lot going on under the surface of this song, and it's very emotionally charged. And I think it's a masterpiece. So this is the song I had to pick out of every other song in the Oingo Boingo catalog. It's what you went with, and it's fine by me. Because that shit's on the mixtape. This is my private life! Private Life, one of my favorite Oingo Boingo songs with a great vocal performance by Danny Elfman. I love it. It's in the mixtape, and that concludes the Unskippables mixtape, dear listener. If you disagree with our choices, you can just go fuck yourself, because... <laughs> This is our we don't care. It's our opinion. What are your opinions? You could always leave us a comment at Trapo Show at No Way. <laughs> Fucked it up. And you can always leave us a comment about your most favorite unskippable song or two or five. Write us some paragraphs or one song. That's fine. Leave a comment. Traposhow.blogspot.com. You did it. I did it. And you know, it's all about joining this never-ending conversation, Kai. That's what it's all about. That's right. Where else can you talk to us? If a blog post it isn't enough for you, if you need more, well, you're, you're in luck, dear listener, because we have an email address, and you can send us an email as long as you want. 7,000 paragraphs? We don't give a shit. Just ramble to your heart's content. All you have to do is address that email to traposhow at gmail.com. Can you believe it? show at gmail.com. It's that simple. Tell us what you want. And look, we're on Instagram, but no one gives a shit.
about that. We might be on post social or hive. Look, just look up Trapple Show wherever you are and you'll find us. You'll find a creepy clown and we, you win. That's all you have to do because we're Trapple Show everywhere. That's it. We, we made a mixtape. It took way too long. All right. But yeah, until next time, dear listeners, there's really only one thing left until to say. Until future you listens to this episode, there is only one thing to say. It's time to get the fuck off the internet. Oh, that sounded terrible. I can't do that. It's time to get <laughs> Oh, God. This is going to get really ambitious. I'm going to get to the end of this episode. I'm going to think I'm done. Then we're going to get to this part. <laughs> I got to do some reverb and shit. When I get to this part of the episode, like, start editing, I'm going to be fucking pissed. I thought it was done. I'm sorry, future me. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> I'm not trying to say Mick Jagger's a fucking pervert, but you know he's a pervert. He's done every perverted thing you probably have ever thought of. <laughs> David Bowie a lot. They went at it. They had a good time. And they're probably, they're both very attractive young men. If I want to be the meat, the David Bowie, Mick Jagger sandwich, you know. <laughs> You're absolutely allowed. Doc Brown, let me borrow the DeLorean <laughs> and go back to 1974 and get fucking railed by Mick Jagger and David Bowie. Can we do this? I got the KY. Let's go back. I'm ready. I'm right I'm here. ready for this. I'm going to be so high on cocaine, I will, I will <laughs> land on the moon. I'm high as a kite. I'm sorry. I'm going to cut all that out. I'm going to cut all that out. <laughs>